Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Hi folks, Foster Brown here, the co-host and producer of the Internet Advisor. It's time for us to go back to the future. (laughs) In memory of a great movie from 30 years ago, we'll be talking about drones and the impact they have on our futures beyond 2015. And in our second hour, we're going to be talking about oh a whole bunch of things, including curiosity. That's right, we'll find out more about what that is and some other things to help us with memory. Welcome to another Internet Advisors show. Hi, I'm Foster Brown, co-host and producer of the program. And with me, we got the whole posse, Gary Baker in studio. Posse, well attended here. Yes, and, and recovering from last weekend. Barely. <laughs> Barely. Also We're with not going to go into it. <laughs> Mr. Ed Rudell, Eddie, good to have you here. Always great to be here. You know, my wife was screaming from the couch as well. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> We're referring to a football game that we will no longer refer to as the uh, an incredible moment in time. And our man from Apple, Cal you, Carson. You know, not, not that I take any sides or anything like that, but I will definitely say last weekend... Michigan State was the University of Michigan. No, I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. Uh, I think I think U of M beat two teams last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> they beat MSU and they beat themselves. Yeah. I love the head <laughs> the headline that came on the next day. I think it was on the well the, the weekend paper was State of Shock. Yeah, I, that well, was I a will tell you, perfect it's, statement. It was so eerie because. The, after the end of that play, it was it was loud leading up to the to that play. And you were in the studio at, in the stadium at the time. And at the end, it was quiet. <laughs> and people kind of just turned and filed and oh walked my. out. And the MSU sta- the MSU fans were saying, "I I guess we won." <laughs> and the Michigan fans were going, "I I guess we lost." Oh And my. nobody was saying much. Afterwards, things got a little rowdy again. It got to be a little more fun, but I think people were just in a real state of shock. Well, I think we ought to focus on something else that happened this past week, and that was a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the movie Back to the Future. And I went to see it. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. My daughter, she, she you know, I got home on Wednesday, it was, I think it was Wednesday evening, and she goes like, Dad, 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 we've got to go to the, st- the, 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 the movies. Had she was actually at the movies? Yeah, so we went to the uh, went to the theater to uh, see it. And did did 
Had she seen it before? I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, she'd seen that six billion times on the VHS we have at home. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) But we had to go see it on the big screen. Of course. That would have been awesome. And when we got there, they said, okay, we're going to be showing Back to the Future, and we have a bonus. We'll be showing Back to the Future 2 right after it, no extra charge. Oh. And they had a DeLorean out front and the whole shooting. So it was was over in Royal Oak. So Uh, were there a lot of people? Oh, do you imagine? In the Imagine. Oh, in the Imagine. Yes, No sir. kidding. Uh, oh, I missed it all. Yeah. You know, we have somebody else in the studio with us I want to introduce, preci- precisely because we're talking about these futuristic toys, and that's Harry Arnold, who is the founder of the Detroit Drone Company. Harry, thanks for coming back and being with us. It's my pleasure. I always have a good time. Oh, you know, I, yeah. I will tell you that, uh, Harry, when we had you on the first time, we somehow knew these drone things were going to become big news <laughs> at some point, and we knew we, we'd have you back. So little did we know that we were going to have to register these little things. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that with a legal expert coming up, but I want to talk with you, I, Harry, about the whole notion of kind of like the, the back-to-the-futureness of drones. They are, you know, I'm surprised that we didn't, what, there were, were there drones in the um, Back to the Future movie? I don't remember. Yes, there was. Yes, there was, oh. but they were sort of round, you know, round globular things that would float around, yes. Yeah, they, they were there specifically right? to do news. Were, were they? <laughs> yes. In Back I, to the Future 2, if you watch, uh, they, they show drones flying around, and one has CBS on it, one has CNN, that sort of thing, and they did newscasts. Harry, have you, bro- have you, have you opened up that category yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, in talks with WJR right after this uh, broadcast. But it would seem that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you can confirm this or not, if the networks are using drones, can they use them for some of their work? Yes, they've been granted some exemptions by the FAA. I know CNN, for one, mm-hmm. uh, and some of the other networks across the country have been granted exemptions. Uh, 333 exemptions are called by the FAA, yeah, and right. they are using them for coverage. I certainly have seen them overseas. Have you seen some of the, the, the coverage of, yeah. uh, you know, in Syria or in some of these other places? But they're then- usually um, uh, restricted to a certain height, aren't they? They can't go a certain above a certain ceiling? Yes. Well, they're unmanned aircraft, so it really depends on the nature of your exemption, but the general exemptions would limit you to 400 feet, and that keeps you out of the way of aircraft traffic, which is generally right. limited to 500 feet Thank or you. higher. I was thinking well, 300. I'm glad yeah, you Yeah, 500 if you're not over a populated area, 1,000 feet if you're over a populated area. Right. And then you have I, helicopters. I'm, I'm an old pilot, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a helicopter can fly anywhere he wants. Right. So <laughs> yeah, that's kind true. Of like, uh, Get out of my way. In a boat. Yeah, and, and who has the right of way between your fishing boat and a freighter? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Harry, we're going to talk about some of the applications uh, to drones. I'm just fascinated to find out what you and the folks at Detroit Drone Company have been doing, and we'll be talking about that. But let, just in terms of the uh, back to the futureness, um, looking back at that film, what are some of the the really far out kind of things that are being done with drones? Oh, there! It's really amazing. I tell everybody that this is going to change the world much in the same way that internet, radio, TV, cell made phones, in, yeah. yeah, cell That's phones. True. Uh, in twenty years, we're going to see drones delivering mail, 
uh, delivering prescriptions, doing surveillance, uh, for better or worse, mm. uh, doing other high-risk activities that you wouldn't want to send a human being mm-hmm. into, like helping with firefighting or a, a hazmat spill. Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, we talked with you about firefighting the last time. You worked with the Detroit Fire Department, and I want to keep on doing that. Yeah, but one, one of the things that I would think that would be, in 20 years from now, we could all have our own personal drones. They'll be much smaller, and they'll be buzzing around us. It's about the size of a bumblebee, and they'll all have avoidance systems. I mean, science fiction writers have been writing about this stuff for years. Yeah. yeah so. And that's actually on the mandate of uh, DJI, who uh, is saying they want in five years for every home to have a drone. Yep. That's wow. their goal. DJI being? Uh, the largest drone manufacturer. They make the Phantom, which oh, kind yeah, of yeah. revolutionized right. things. They sell it at Best Buy. Wow. Well, we we talking more about this, the future and the present with Harry Arnold, the founder of the Detroit Drone Company and our gang here in studio as we continue with the Internet Advisor. You're glad to have him back. He's the founder of the Detroit Drone Company. We are going to be talking about something that happened this week, the F... No, U.S. Department of Transportation, Harry, am I right on that? Yes, the Department of Transportation. Was the one that called for the registration of drones. We'll talk about that a little later on. We're going to have Enrico Schaefer on. He is from um, a law firm up in Traverse City, and... uh, they're, he's going to be talking about some of the legal aspects of this. But before we even get to that, Harry, what I wanted to talk about with the rest of the guys are um, this last week of looking at Back to the Future and, you know, its anniversary, 30th anniversary has had us all kind of casting the eye to the future or wondering how close we were with that last movie. I'd like to talk about some of the things that are being done with drones now that you're involved with with the Detroit Drone Company. Well, in... In general, it's really, really opened up to the point where people are just calling me with projects and things that I never even considered a drone doing. So really, if you look at it in its most basic form, it's just a, a transportation device that, and um, just pretty much as the Internet was a communication device. And that really doesn't mean a lot until people start putting ideas into it. Yeah. So uh, but right now, some of our big things are always the photography and, and mm-hmm. video I'm also teaching a class now over at Inside Focus over on the east side of Detroit. Oh, yes, yes. yes, and we're working with kids that are uh, have been moved out of the public school system to um, have a, another chance at getting their diploma. And so there's a fabrication lab, and we're actually teaching how to construct drones and having fun. Wow. And we're sneaking and teaching electronics and physics and stuff, and they don't even know they're learning it. <laughs> I love so. it. Is that part of Focus Hope? No, it's... Inside focus, but kind of the same mission as focus education and and helping move the community forward. I love that. Now, the last time you were with us, you had some projects going which were kind of exciting. Uh, One was with the Detroit Fire Department. Uh, Talk about that a little bit and then tell us if that's, you know, gone any further. Well, yeah, the Detroit Fire Department, of course, they're interested because drones give them a really good way to get a, a bird's eye view of a fire which can save firemen's lives. And so we're still in a demonstration mode with them. They applied for a, what else, a registration or a COA <laughs> from the government, yeah. and they haven't gotten it yet. Oh, the uh, state police, actually, as a local agency, they've gotten theirs, and they're using the drone for a, 
Like they just used it to analyze the uh, was it I ninety six after that humongous traffic accident? Right. Mm. They used their drone to fly over and do aerial um, photogrammetry of the accident scene. And the fire department, we go in and we help with fires, offer a downlink to the picture, and then photographs after the scene, after the after the fact. So it's uh, we're waiting. Well, yeah, and you had mentioned at the time, excuse me, you mentioned at the time that it could save lives because it showed hot spots yes. from above yes. that, of course, a fire crew could not see. Yes, and that's one of the main things about drones. Uh, as you know, the original term drone referred to the army in Star Wars. So, mm. And that was, of course, machines <laughs> programmed to operate autonomously to save humans from right. going in and losing their lives. And if you think of it that way, the drone is still uh, open for that kind of mission. And with firemen, I, I have the utmost respect for them. Mm. When everybody's running away, they're running toward the yeah, fire. Right. And they'll go up on the roof and poke holes on it in it with a with a pike, mm-hmm. just like they were doing 700 years ago in yeah. old England. <laughs> and uh, you know, oh, I fell into the fire. There must be a, still a fire Ooh. going. So with the drone, you can fly over and get an infrared image of where the oh, hot yeah. spots are, and instantly beam that down to the incident commander. So situational awareness uh, is is really important, and uh, um, drones fit the bill. You know, Harry, I. I can't help but thinking, you know, with a the fire, there's got to be tremendous updrafts, right, of hot air coming off that fire. Is it a real trick to fly a drone in that kind of condition, or, well, or is that different than, say, a fixed wing or, or otherwise? No, it's it's kind of akin to the moment where you learn that the stove is hot as a child. <laughs> so I wouldn't say there's anything particularly difficult about it, but uh, suffice it to say, now I can assure you that you must be upwind of, of any fire that you want to take pictures of. Well, you know, because I know a, a drone has a number of sensors on there. It has internal, gyroscopic, it has for stabilization... It probably, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it has uh, the ability to for navigation. Um, but what about like temperature? Because I know it has video. Yeah. It's it's an open book, and yeah. that's why I was relating it to the internet. Uh, it's an open book. You can carry any payload you want for purposes, unfortunately, of good or evil. But on the good side, you can test the air for particulates. You can get temperature readings. You can get ambient lighting measure and anything you can think of. Yeah. Any platform you can get up in the air. So, yeah. so we're yeah. talking about a lot of customization that, that 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 can be done. So if you have tinkerers out there, yes. this is this is ideal. For for them. Yes, yes it is. And uh, we're we're working to standardize a payload mounting system um, similar to the mounts that are on the back of monitors, like a Visa mounting system. Mm-hmm. So that when I have a customer that, that wants me to carry something, I'll, they'll tell me the voltage they need, and I'll tell them I need a 75-millimeter bolt uh, square pattern, and that we can lift up whatever you want as long as it's under 10 pounds. And so, mm. yeah, it's, it's an open page uh, ready to write whatever creative people think of. So the definition of a drone is an unmanned craft because as as you start to add more and more of these things to it, more power, more size, more lift, the whole shooting match, when does it not become a drone anymore? I would say there's never a point as long as it's unmanned and uh, autonomous, which I guess is... UAV, unmanned autonomous vehicle, I think. Aerial vehicle. So when we step in to that little capsule that it carries, then becomes... Then there's no more... It's not a drone any longer. Then it's a plane or a helicopter or a... Yeah. 
Well, well, if if we step into it and we don't pilot it like an autonomous car, mm-hmm. is it still called a drone? That's a good I question. think <laughs> it is still an unmanned craft because it's being remotely operated. Yeah. But I mm. I would uh, I I, would, I think the technology has a ways to go on. before. We uh, start sending up uh, here, guinea here, pigs. Here's Cal putting the wrench in the works because this is what <laughs> Google and all these other companies are talking about when they're trying to do these unmanned vehicles. Who's liable for the accident? I'm a passenger in an autonomous vehicle. Am I going to be liable if the uh, you know, dang the, thing screws up? There was a you know? big article in the, <laughs> the Washington the Post yeah. um, that was talking about that they there's people that think they should license the car. The yeah. car should have a driver's license. And that's oh, kind of interesting. The drone should have a license then. That is coming, and, and we're in, within the hobby looking at the whole registration uh, uh, act as a first step. And offic- uh, uh, eventually you're going to have to register your hardware so that there is not a, you know, a, a, a not solidly operating drone flying yeah. around and so eventually there'll be certification for pilots and there'll be registration for air for craft unmanned aircraft mm-hmm. that'll involve inspection just like they do with regular airplanes what are some of the things that that uh, drones that you work with now at the detroit drone company are doing that maybe they ha- weren't doing 12 months ago uh we just did a air ins- a particulate inspection uh, down in, in Indiana where we flew up a company was being uh, accused of, of, uh, of uh, polluting the city or their neighborhood and so they were facing a civil suit so they wanted us to go up and get air samples from different points around the factory like a grid right. of the city and so that was really exciting and so nice. that was where we we rolled out the custom out and uh, you know, flew their payload which was an, an air uh, particulate tester and uh, got the readings and, and did the mission. Now we're not going to be able to show people this but you brought in, I'm going to take pictures of it so we can put it on the uh, on the home page and people can look at it. You brought in a drone but it's not like the drones that we see, the you know sleek looking drones. This looks like it's got all sorts of Velcro and things on it. <laughs> Well, you know, if you leave two men in an empty room, eventually they're going to be pitching pennies against the wall. This is a <laughs> racing drone, so ah. we can have mano-mano competition going around a track. Uh, you, it's first-person view. You wear goggles and look out the camera. It's very wow. high adrenaline, very high adrenaline. That's fascinating. We're going to be continuing to talk about drones and their applications with Harry Arnold, and also in just a moment, we're talking about some of the legal challenges that have come up in this past week. Allow me a moment to thank the folks behind the glass, as we say. Shannon Mailer, Mallory, Bailey is there. Pardon me. <laughs> and Rich Luzinski, thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. Something came loose on my my tongue came unhinged. In any case, <laughs> you, ma- you mangled Mailey is what you did. That's what I did. <laughs> Welcome back to the Internet Advisor. Let me try this again. Uh, we have the whole crew at studio here along with Harry Arnold, who is the founder of the Detroit Drone Company. And uh, we're welcoming to the conversation right now somebody else who is uh, describes himself as a drone attorney. That does not mean that he is inhuman. <laughs> he is just an attorney who focuses on and specializes in drone. Enrico Schaefer, am I right on that? 
You are. I do disguise as a quadcopter during the Halloween season, but that's about it. <laughs> no human on board. Uh, I can just see him in the air with his arms flailing. You know? great. And because seriously, thank you very much for being with us. Um, I, I loved an article that uh, I, I read that uh, Mike Brennan, who uh, works with us with MI Tech News, shared with us. It was, was entitled, Has the FAA Gone Crazy? <laughs> Inside the FAA's Attempt to require registration of all recreational drones. And we're going to step into something. We've been talking about some of the practical things or in, incredible things that drones can do with Harry Arnold, who is the founder of the Detroit Drone Company here in studio. But what you're tackling there is the attempt to try to get some kind of regulatory handle on drones, and on piloting them and flying them. And, and, and from the title of your article, it looks like you're saying that the efforts that are going on right now are just plain crazy. Yeah, it is, uh, Foster. It's a really strange environment right now, uh, as I, I know that uh, Harry probably uh, sees every day as he as he looks at what's going on on the web. The FAA has been trying to regulate uh, SUAS into the into the airspace here for many years, and they've broken drones down into two categories essentially: commercial drones and recreational drones. Mm-hmm. Commercial drones, you have to get permission from the FAA to fly, and as part of that, you have to register your aircraft so they know if a problem with the drone, they can trace it back to you. But you've got, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of times or tens of thousands of times, assumed to be millions of times more recreational Mm -hmm. drones in the air, and now they're trying to get everyone who buys a recreational drone to have to register that drone with the FAA, and they just started this process uh, last week. And they say that they want a proposal from the task force by November 20th, and they want to have the new regulation in place by mid-December. And if anyone knows anything about the government, <laughs> it does not act fast. No, it moves at glacial pace at very best. Now, uh, Harry, I'm just curious about this. You would, I imagine, as a drone operator, it's you're not against regulation or registration necessarily. I'm 100% for uh, registration, certification. Um, that's the only way the drones are going to take their place in the future. Um, if you look back at our history, every new technology has gone through a phase where it was unregulated, and then as it became more pervasive, the government regulated it. And I go back all the way. You guys are probably too young to remember, but <laughs> the sinking of the Titanic at that time, ham radio had just came out, and, and it was not regulated in any way. But there were spoof calls that were sent out during the disaster, and Ooh. it raised such a public ire that the FCC was formed shortly after that accident that wow. put the ham regulations in, in place. And you can look at planes, automobiles, uh, radio, television. It's all followed the same path. Yeah, we don't want to have to have a disaster that we're following in order to have good regulation coming and, and the regulation right now is registering right we're not talking yeah, about right. first what step you, right first step. but i mean we're not talking about changing innovation anybody can come up with a new and improved drone they just have to register it no it's it's completely fair yeah. in my humble opinion and yeah. and reasonable uh the people that are upset including the gentleman on the phone are are uh, uh the ama the hobbyists that have been flying planes at the park with their son for a 50 years, Mm -hmm. and now they're going to have to take their RC models, which have heretofore been exempt from any kind of uh, government oversight, and register them. And that's the problem with a large part of the modeling community. They're literally up in arms over it. 
Yeah, right. and the, and the 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 thing that's driving this is that there were you know over the count is debatable, but over a thousand near misses or sightings between aircraft and UAVs, typically near airports uh, in in air air uh, you know air airliners trying to right. land and take off, right? So there's a, a tremendous anxiety by the FAA about. Uh, whether or not there's going to be a collision between a drone and an aircraft and what mm. that may mean, whether or not that you know there would really be a safety impact there, these types of things. But the thing where, where Harry is wrong is that the, the problem is that not so much that they want recreational users to register, to try and come up with a set of regulations, which, by the way, the FAA probably has no authority, regular um, ability to regulate recreational drones because Congress passed a, a law saying that they couldn't. That's why so, they had the DOT do it. <laughs> yeah, so the the challenge here is where is going to be the authority and how in the world are they in less than two months going to come up with a framework yeah. that will um, identify what what kind of drone needs to be registered you know drones under a pound you know drones under three pounds drones that can fly 50 feet away 100 feet away where it really needs to go to on a technology basis is some sort of transponder that goes in a certain class of drones that will actually not only identify uh, the will identify the person who owns that drone and and you'll be able to read that transponder from some other uh, receiver mm. and say it belongs to so-and-so. Because if a drone's in the air and it's registered to someone, you still don't know who belongs that, who owns that drone, and unless it crashes into something. So if it's too close to a, uh, an airport, once that drone lo- lands and the person drives away, you literally have no ability to figure out who that person is. Well, the effort here is really to try and get people to be more safe, and they're using yeah. registration as a kind of a fear tactic along that line. It's just not a very good solution to what is mm-hmm. a significant problem. We're, by the way, that's Enrico Schaefer, who was calling. We're talking with him from uh, Traverse City, and uh, you have a. There's a firm up there. Your firm does drone law. Am I right? Correct. Okay. Cal, you had something you want. Enrico, this this is a question that always gets on my mind. i got to ask this one. Can you tell me what is the, uh, in a short way, because I'm sure everything legally is always long, uh, airspace, what, what, what control of airspace do I have over my own private property in relation to drones? Well, it's a great question, and there's very little litigation on that issue. From the FAA's point of view, they can regulate at least commercial uh, aircraft, including drones in the national airspace, which they believe to be basically from the tops of the blades of grass upward. Uh, But there really hasn't been any reason to explore that legally until uh, UAVs started to launch. And so that's a whole area that we really don't know the answer to. You certainly have a right to privacy, Mm -hmm. and many states have anti-surveillance laws, which would apply. Uh, the if you're flying a drone commercially, uh, as Harry knows, you can't fly it over any uh, property that you don't own or don't have permission to fly over. So the the FAA's tried to deal with that issue by simply uh, barring people from flying over property that they don't have permission to be over. But of course, we know a lot of people are out there flying drones and they're flying over other people's property. Enrico, what's the rules on taking down drones over my own airspace? 
Well, it's, it's again, <laughs> it's complicated, but the, because the FAA has, has defined a drone as an aircraft, if you were to shoot at a drone, it'd be no different than technically uh, shooting at an aircraft, which, of course, would be a, a 10 or 20-year felony. Oh, wire. And I just want to throw in uh, with your your fine answer um, to the previous question, there was a Supreme Court uh, versus Cosby uh, case where uh, the airspace above your property was was determined uh, under common law, uh, real property extends from the depths to the heavens, but the Supreme Court held that you have ownership of the airspace that is structurally being used by what you have developed on your property. So in other words, at my home, I might lose rights per se at a couple, at 100, 200 feet, but over the Renaissance Center, which is six, 700 feet tall, mm-hmm. their property rights would naturally extend quite a bit higher. So that's Supreme Court versus Cosby. Can I ask both? Yeah, the- yeah let, me, let me just throw in there that yeah. that is not an accurate statement of the law, but it's, uh, there is a lot of debate on this issue and a lot of unknown. I'm curious, Harry, have you run into litigation as far as... The use of your drones... Um, or have you been able to avoid that obstacle? Oh no, no, we only do what is legally allowed under the law. So but I have, you have, but no, I meant have have you run into litigation in the sense of having to deal with it, having to hire a lawyer to protect yourself? Oh no, we don't do anything that's illegal. We pl- fly uh, over private property with owner's permission. Okay, uh, okay. We work with police, fire department. There's nobody's mad at me. All right, good. Enrique, I want you to hang on because I want to talk a, a little bit more about the whole issue of. Um, of uh, getting kind of mandating pilot training as also part of dealing with drones as well. Enrico Schaefer with us from Traverse City Law. We'll be back in just a moment with our crew in studio here talking about unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs or drones. Let me walk you back to uh, kind of a back to the future type of conversation here as we're talking about drones and about their uh, application and some of the control necessary to deal with them responsibly and to move into an exciting future with them. Uh, we have with us on our phone lines Enrico Schaefer, who is a drone lawyer with uh, Traverse, Traverse Law. Am I right in that, Enrico? Uh, Travis Legal, yes. Travis Legal, pardon me, uh, out of Traverse City. And um, he is defined as a... Uh, a drone lawyer with us in studio we have harry arnold who is the founder of the detroit drone company a commercial drone operation here and thank you guys along with our crew and and we maybe mention and enrico do are you in traverse city because of uh, northwestern michigan college having such a a great drone driver program drone drone training program no, it was just purely coincidental that uh, that they were here and I happened to be here. So uh, it's one of the very few times where being in Traverse City uh, actually worked for business. Uh, we practice <laughs> practiced all over the country on intellectual property and other technology company representations. Uh-huh. We just get to come home to Traverse City, but there's uh, not much of that going on here. Uh-huh. And, and uh, you brought up, Gary, a Northwestern Michigan College actually has a training program for drone pilots. Am I right? Yes, they've, uh, they were uh, one of the early college programs out there to put a UAV uh, program in place, and so mm-hmm. they've been doing it for five or six years now, and uh, they are training drone pilots for both military and commercial applications. Oh, my military and commercial applications. That is interesting. Gentlemen, I'd like to ask both of you, both you, um, uh, Enrico, and you, Harry, you know, I... I from conversations both off the air and the in the studio, we we need we gotta record those uh, and on air here. 
I think, Harry, you want to have some kind of reasonable regulation of drones and their pilots for both public safety and so that the industry can continue at a reasonable pace of development. Am I right on that? Yes, yes. The capability of drones, uh, multi-copters, and remote-control aircraft has risen so quickly, and they're so publicly available that if they are not regulated, you're going to have somebody going to Best Buy and flying one over the World Series. And, and you know, with, mm. with the with the uncomfortable notion that you can fly any kind of payload that you want, um, that's leaving too much in yeah. the hands of chance for uh, most citizens. Well, right. and just if you're flying it, let's say, over the World Series, over any stadium, and as you're flying that, it's going to lose connectivity at some point, right? You're going to lose control of it, over it, potentially. And if it comes down, even if there's no payload problem... Right, it's going to come down. It's going to come down on somebody. Being somebody on the way yeah. down, Enrico. What do you see the path forward then? If, if in some ways, this crazy rush to regulation is going on between the FAA and the now the DOT, the Department of Transportation, is getting involved in it. What do you see as a clear path through this? That is the million-dollar question, and and the problem is there is no real clear path. The um, the FAA has been trying to get the regulations together on the commercial side for many years and they just finished their proposed rulemaking. There's now a proposed rule for commercial operators. There is a section 333 process that uh, companies like uh, Detroit Drone can go through to get legal and, and fly commercially. But the real problem is that when Congress uh, enacted the law in 2012 to which directed the FAA to come up with regulations, Congress also precluded the FAA from uh, regulating recreational or hobbyist drones. Uh. And so that has created a, a big challenge for the FAA mm-hmm. uh, because that's where most of the drones are going in the air and that's where a lot of the stupidity is happening. Hmm. Isn't this similar to what's go- what has happened with personal watercraft um, where they weren't regulated when they first came out, people did stupid things with them, then they became regulated where certainly un- under a certain age you had to have a license. And, and now we're finding out that you know most of the problems where somebody um, crashes into another personal watercraft or another boat or a dock or something, it's really happening with adults that happen to be drinking. Yeah, right. um, you know, are, are we going to see kind of drones maybe take a, this, a similar path where everybody has to be licensed? Well, I think it's going to be um, something is going to is going to have to happen because you've got about, about a million drones that are about to go into the air uh, as a result of Christmas. Yeah. And so, you know, the, 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 the problem is how do you get people educated? Regulation is one way to educate people. Uh, news programs are, are mm-hmm. doing a great job of bringing information to the public. The manufacturers are trying incredibly hard to get information to the purchasers to let them know wh- how to fly safely. Mm-hmm. But it's a big challenge because, oh, yes. as Harry noted, anyone can buy a drone at 500 or or $1,000, unpack it, and have it in the air in, in less than 5 or 10 minutes. So 
uh, that's 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 a really big Cal, challenge. You have I, something? I got to ask you this question, Enrico. How did you end up in drone law? And, <laughs> and if a young person wanted to get into law, uh, how would they go in that direction? Well, we have done new and emerging technology since '92, and so we're a technology uh, company representation law firm. And so mm-hmm. I also do RC aircraft and sailing and all sorts of other wind wind sports for many years. So. As uh, as drones started to come on the scene and we started to see the FAA start moving towards regulations, uh, we jumped in with both feet, and then having NMC here as a resource just proved to be an added benefit. Uh, and now, of course, all it's all coming of age right now in front of our eyes. So oh, yeah. it's a little bit of dumb luck and a little bit of good planning. <laughs> cool. Enrico, thank you so much for being with us here on the Internet Advisor today. All right, thanks, guys. You guys have a great weekend. All right, the very best to you. Well, you know, and, and that's just another example where someone took their own personal interest and and made it part of their daily lives. Mm. So, I mean, my father always said, if if you do something you love and or can incorporate something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Right? I know it is fascinating, so. Harry. I, you certainly, I'm sure, <laughs> model that with your experience with drones, doing something you love. Yeah, I would definitely have to say that it's been a very fun ride. Uh, we were one of the first companies around doing it when people were still saying, what's that? And they didn't <laughs> even know that what a drone or an unmanned aircraft was. So, yeah, dumb luck. I was into photography, into RC, and there was a technological... RC being remote control. Yes, radio control, oh, aircraft, radio control. Okay. Um, yeah. aircraft cars. And about uh, six or seven years ago, there were advances in risk processing and uh, the ST32 chip and some other innovations came up that made um, drones really stable and really uh, reliable to mm. the point where you could fly a, uh, a a couple hundred dollar camera without fear of it crashing every other time you flew it. <laughs> yes. And uh, that kind of reliability opened a door, and uh, that's where I jumped you know, in. You know, I have uh, a couple quick questions, but, you know, when you think about what uh, Enrico was saying, which is maybe a transponder is the way to go, so you can identify each individual uh, drone like you can an aircraft. You know, we I flew with the transponder, and when you were in controlled air, airspace, you had to turn it to a certain number. Um, I could see that being a, a way to, to actually identify each one of these, and, you know, it, it, it used to be expensive, and today, with the technology we're putting into our smartphones, right? Where's my phone app is a great thing. Where's my <laughs> yeah. drone? Where's yeah. my drone? Right? <laughs> gonna, I mean, it's pretty cheap today to do that. Let me give the domain. The domain. Let yeah. me register. Where's my drone? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm personally a fan of the other side, personal certification. I think it should be tiered like uh, you get a learner's permit, operator's license, mm. and then get insurance, and you have a commercial license instead of the hardware, which is going to be real expensive. Harry, where can we find uh, the Detroit Drone Company online? DetroitDrone.com. There it is. DetroitDrone.com. Harry, thank you so much. It's always fun having you in here. Got to have you back because I'm kind of thinking, guys, maybe not 30 years into the future, but maybe a a little while, a few months beyond. I know this is going to continue to go just in a crazy wild fashion. But, Harry, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right. Coming up in this next hour, I've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be talking about uh, an excellent thing developed by public radio in Detroit called Curiosity. You're going to find out things about where the Michigan left came from. And we'll also find out, talk with a young man about a fascinating new piece of software to help you with your memory.
You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Tell me, have you ever wondered where the Michigan left came from? How about when Detroit was armed with nuclear missiles? <laughs> We're going to be finding about those things from Curiosity and Public Radio in Detroit. Quint Kleinfelder will be our guest. We'll also be finding out about a young man who's developed a program to help you oldsters like me share our histories with our families. All that coming up in this hour of the Internet Advisor. Welcome to hour number two of the Internet Advisor. Got lots of stuff packed into this hour. Just a moment, we're going to be talking with Mike Brennan about uh, all that's going on in entrepreneurship and technology throughout our state. The the whole posse is here. Gary Baker, Ed Rudell, and Cal Carson in studio. Good to have you here, guys. That's right. It's uh, it's going to be a great second hour. Yep. Got lots of things going. We're talking in just a little bit with uh, Quinn Kleinfelder, who is one of the... He's a senior news editor at WDET, our local public radio station that doing some fascinating things that I saw, I saw online that we're going to be following up with. And then we're also going to be talking with a young man from the state of California who has, or pardon me, from Florida, who has developed a, a fascinating piece of software that I think some of us old geezers will be very happy to find out about. <laughs> we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. But right now, let me bring Mr. Mike Brennan onto the air with us. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great, Foster. Thanks for asking. You 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 have finished suffering from football games, I understand. Uh, very blue. Uh, <laughs> very blue. Uh, very amazing blue, huh? <laughs> yes, well, we won't talk about that last play. We'll move right along for All that. right. Well, then let's move on to some of the news headlines that you've been sharing with uh, your listeners and, and readers on MITechNews.com. One of them I'm fascinated by is called Smart Pitcher that provides data-driven advice for the 2015 World Series. Yeah, this is kind of uh, one of those big data things. At the end of, at where it turns out is Major League Baseball has installed a couple of years ago, they installed uh, uh, cameras that track all the pitches in every game mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So you get a vast amount of data. they got a million pitches stored. And so with this... Uh, programming that they have from uh, Supported Intelligence, which is a company based out of East Lansing. Uh-huh. Patrick Anderson's a part owner in it, but it, it's his son and some other folks that actually run it. They can, they're going to have something called uh, Smart Pitcher, where they're going to tweet what they think the pitches are going to be during the World Series. <laughs> Honest to God, yeah. And then you can compare, okay, so you think it's going to be a strike down and low, and it turns out to be a curveball, so you know how good they're doing right away, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So. And when the, uh, the the pitcher serves up a gopher ball, you know, was yeah. because he ignored the smart data. That's coming out, it's a software company out of East Lansing. That is yeah, yeah. really it's, 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 
They're a good little company, and uh, they 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 did something last year uh, with another sporting event, and that's how you know they they come up with some innovative ways to crunch big data. Essentially, yeah, that is fascinating. Uh, another thing I saw here is that uh, Michigan, and we can be proud of this, is uh, in the top fifteen for energy efficiency. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, it's a variety of things, though. I mean, it's uh, you know how how uh, efficient we're sealing up our homes and businesses so they don't leak and leak out uh, the heat or the cool depending on the season. Mm-hmm. It's how well we deliver that. It's a, it's a whole bunch of different variables, and there's a scorecard you can read at mitechnews.com. And out of fifty points, we got twenty three point five. Uh, which is good for 14th place out of 50 hey. states. That's not bad. Not bad. We'll have to keep on climbing on that scale. Um, by the way, coming up, a very important event this next Monday, and that is it's the North American International Cyber Summit going to be taking place in Detroit, hosted by our Governor Rick Snyder. Yeah, fourth time. I'm sure Gary's going to be there. I know I'll be, be there. Yep. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a really good shoe, um, and, and they're expecting upwards of 1,000 people to show up, wow. which is fabulous for one of these conferences. Uh, the governor makes a brief appearance, and then we've got a lot of experts uh, that come in and talk about various aspects of whatever the threats are today for cybersecurity, mm-hmm. and by gosh, we know there's a whole bunch of them out there. Yeah. It's relatively cheap, too. Mm-hmm. It's like $79 to mm-hmm. attend for the whole day, and it's a well worth it oh, it's for a, a wealth of information, Absolutely. I bet, yeah. Yep. It's kind of neat that we have the North American International Auto Show and now this North American well, uh, it, International it, Cyber Summit. It used to be called the Michigan Cyber Summit, and then we said, you know what? The governor just said, you know, if the auto show can be the North American International Auto Show, we can be the North American International Cyber Summit. Yep, so, and it, well, it the last affects, two years. Yep, affects the nation, affects the entire world, as a matter of fact. Mike, before we get to talking about your M-squared Tech Talk coming up this week, uh, we should mention that uh, there's a very easy way of getting not just these headlines, but all the news that you have to publish uh, in a given week, and that is through mitechnews.com. If you go there, you can subscribe free for nothing, and they get a couple things, Mike, don't they? Yeah, they, well, they get my two newsletters. Uh, they get, uh, uh, well, that's the main thing, is, they, is the Wednesday one, they get the, the, the one where we highlight all the podcasts, including mm-hmm. what you guys do on Internet Advisor. We do a lot of promos for shows coming up. Uh, and then I'm because I was getting complaints that the newsletter was getting too long. It was like 35 stories. <laughs> um, so we broke it into two. And then on Fridays, we put out the story-only newsletter, which right. is reduced down to about 18 or so. Um, and then we went to this new mobile-friendly uh, graphically enriched mm-hmm. format, and everybody seems to love it. I tell you, I, it, it, I like it. I do too. I want to compliment you on it. It is really clean, and it is very easy to find the headlines that interest you. And again, folks, the good news about that is that it's absolutely free. Go to internetadvisor.net, and in our show notes, you'll see Mike's smiling face and a place to subscribe. Just click the button and put in your email address, and you're on your way free for nothing for getting all those great resources. Let's talk quickly before we wrap things here about your M Square Tech Talk coming up on. Monday. Well, as it so happens, Neil Anderson's going to call in from East Lansing, talk about this crazy uh, the data crunching that they have, the, the smart picture, and so he'll be able to explain it much better than I will, <laughs> or can. And so uh, yeah, talk about that, how people can access that, because the World Series, I believe, starts on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, so it'll be great timing for those people that use Twitter. And then we're going to have the, the digital tech, uh, they call this a diva tech talk. i got to get yep, this right, because right. they yell at me if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Tech Talk Divas. Tech Talk Divas. Yeah, you guys had them on your show last right. week. We'll have them on our show That's on Monday. Uh, and I guess they're getting ready to roll out the program right. again. 
And that will be available on the podcast as well. Thanks, Mike, so much. Come Thank back you. And- Thanks, Foster. Welcome back to the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, and our crew in here with the Internet Advisor. You know, to to my mind, we've always had kind of a friendly competition going on in our radio markets uh, between the commercial stations like um, WJR, which is our flagship station, and then the publicly supported stations. And we have an outstanding public radio station in metropolitan Detroit called WDET. And uh, I I ran into something online the other day that I thought you folks, uh, especially those of you from the Detroit area would get a kick out of, and it's uh, something that's been produced there by one of their senior news editors, and his name is Quinn Kleinfelter. He's in studio with us. Quinn, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, no problem. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, the loyal opposition. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> friendly competition. That sounds much better. Um, a free pledge mug is coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will not be asking for any pledge money today on the air. A sigh of relief goes out. Uh, but I, I wanted you to come on to talk about something that absolutely fascinated me. But before we get to that, the uh, producer for this segment, I think, is Shelby Jupy. Am I right on that? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to give a shout out to her. She has recently gone on to maternity leave. And so we want to wish her just the best of health to that and uh, a very safe birth that's coming up. That's uh, Shelby Jupy. But I, what I want you to talk about is about this new feature that you can get online called Curiosity. And it's spelled kind of interesting. We'll get into that in just a minute. Yeah, well, well, Shelby is actually going to give birth soon, I guess. But this is actually something she already gave birth to. It's basically <laughs> her baby. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and it's like curiosity, only with the D at the end, curiosity. And it's supposed to be anything that really, you know, amazes you or surprises you or you always wondered about in the city of Detroit or the whole metro region. And what we do is have people call in, write in with a, a question. Why was this such and such this way? And then we, uh, having the time and the assignment from our editors, go out and uh, try to figure out the answer to it. And that can take you to a, a lot of different places, a lot of research on the Internet, talking to a lot of people, uh, having to go through a lot of archive tape and uh, things in libraries, and sometimes mm. you find some uh, pretty interesting answers that people weren't really aware of. Well, you had one in there. Matter of fact, the one that caught my attention, guys, was about the Michigan left. The birth of the Michigan left yeah. has nothing to do with the, the Democratic Party. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and you found that out. You're, I, you have a different answer here. Uh, just like Rush, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about that. Were you involved in researching that particular story? I'm just curious. I and know. No, I wasn't involved. I did all of it. <laughs> it was a log. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was. And actually, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work on a lot of them. But on that particular one, it took a lot of research because there was a lot of contradictory information. There was um, a guy who had written a book a number of years back about where that actually came from and who created it. And he said that it started, it pretty much started in Detroit, the Michigan left. Uh, and he thought it started out on Telegraph and that some engineers had decided to move the, the turnaround a little bit further down and uh, that that was where that all stemmed from. And the state would kind of quote that, but you couldn't really verify it with the guy that wrote the book because he had passed away a couple of years oh, ago. Okay. So I did a little bit more research and I actually came across a guy who had been a uh, Michigan State University professor and had retired over the last couple of years. But in the 60s, he was a young engineer for MDOT, for the Department of Transportation. And his job was to figure out all the turns and all the stoplights and all the uh, Michigan lefts on 8 Mile 
and that was uh-huh. his assignment. So anything you want, I know the guy to blame. Um, <laughs> and that was what he did. He came up with this whole plan. In fact, he was very proud of it to this day. He said, you know, I came up with the perfect solution that if you went, he had a mathematical formula he figured out. He said, if you do 45 miles an hour down eight mile, you should hit yes. every single light yes. without a stop and then be able to turn back around. I approved that a number of times. Can, I, I actually did that. I commuted down that. Uh, a number of times. Have you tried that, Ed? Have you tried? No, not down eight mile. But you know, I do it down um, Metropolitan Parkway or sixteen mile. If you if you maintain a, a certain speed limit, yep. And usually, I have been paying attention to the other smart people that have been driving it for ten years. You can make it all the way from yep. seventy five all the way down. If you don't race up to the yes. next stoplight, yeah, exactly. Can, and you wonder if somebody just kind of came up with that out of nowhere. But this guy had this really intricate mathematical formula to figure it out and to do it, and uh, and it seems to have worked. And now we should say that uh, Michigan Lab for those of you who are now. Are familiar with it is where um, in order to make a left turn on some of these very big well-traveled highways you actually cross over the road and move to your left side and then make a turnaround. Almost like a U-turn, but it's usually yes. with like a boulevard to U-turn. Right, yeah. exactly. But, and you come back the other way then to then, actually make a right turn on And, then go on the and, other and, and you yeah. left off the biggest part, and the biggest part is you make a right before you actually make the left. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and that was that came out of a mathematical formula. It, it did. It came out of that. It came out of them also seeing that there had been a ton of wrecks. You know, I mean, oh, he yeah. was talking about it, that people may not remember, but this was back in the mid '60s. It was actually uh, right around the time of the uh, riots that they came up with wow. this. And at that point, he said that people won't remember now. But then you could wait at a turn light for the Green Arrow. Uh, he said four, five, six cycles, which translated oh, yes. to eight, nine minutes of just yeah. sitting there before you could actually yeah. make that turn. And then yeah. you had to. You know, it was like Danger Alley. Are you going to really try to go for that right now, or are you going to wait? Yeah, and you got to yeah. make that, you know, grit your teeth and try to make that turn. And he said there was a ton of accidents, and they saw that over and over. So they were trying to figure out some way to get around that, mm. and literally, and, and nobody was able to. And then they finally came up with that. Again, it was hard to figure out who actually came up with the concept of, oh, let's do this Michigan left. He set it all up down eight miles, uh-huh. so it was that. Uh, and there's actually one engineer that he believes, uh, it was a guy named Don Sankey, who he said you've never heard of and probably never will, that uh, was supposed to try to end some of the wrecks that was happening uh, at intersections. And the guy came up with an idea of putting a guardrail instead of in between the turns so you could only turn one way. And it kind of forced people to make this U-turn and go back and make the right-hand turn. And so he kind of came up with this idea, and they started calling it the Michigan now, Left. And this is all you found with curiosity. Now, Cal, you got something? You want to say? Have you guys found anything of a folk folk nature? I mean, you know, this is like, you know, hard, fast, you know, you got a road yeah. and stuff like that. What about, you know, like, was there really a Verner's Gnome or, or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, actually, you know, it, that's the whole thing. It varies all this stuff. Uh, they just had one uh, done recently where they put, and some of it is fact-based, like one of it, uh, most recent ones, was about Black Bottom, which is the area that, that got mm-hmm. taken right. out because of the freeway. And so it had a lot of it was very well received and had a lot of archival uh, sound in it, which is one of the things that public radio can mm. do pretty well because we have the time and the space and you can kind of let somebody kind of paint a picture in their own mind like a little mini yes. uh, movie. Yes. So we yes. found that. But there were other things. One of the very first ones that we did was about the road Losser and a guy called in and said, you know, why is it called Losser and is it really supposed to be Losser or is it Lasher? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and we had a woman that worked on that for a while, and she finally tracked down, like, the great-grandson of the guy that actually they named it after. And what they found out was that it really was supposed to be Losher, but when they did the sign, they made a typo. Oh, no, you're so kidding it's, me. So that's why it's Losher. <laughs> it's, it's a typo. 
<laughs> that's why and that and you know and beautiful thing was she did the, yeah and she did the story all the way to it and i was jealous because it was really well done and and at the end of it she goes so tom there's your answer it's a typo oh my <laughs> you know like that that and is so, yeah fascinating you know what's really fun is if you try to use siri and i don't know if it does the same thing with cortana but try grash it yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah because it says gradiat or shaner oh my lord or or DeQuinter, there you go. Uh, we're talking with Quinn Kleinfelder, Felder, pardon me, who was a senior news editor at WDET, the public radio station in Detroit. And we're talking about Curiosity, which is a feature they have that looks into some of these um, kind of our unique stories about um, uh, Southeast Michigan, about Michigan, period. And uh, like this last one about Lasser, that is absolutely fascinating. So it's a typo. Yeah. That, that <laughs> it should have been know. last year. Oh, that is interesting. Um, by the way, if people want to submit a question, how do they get it in? You would go to WDET.org um, slash uh, curiosity. And that, that was a very well-timed cough, by the way, to cover up the website <laughs> as I'm going to. So again, that was WDET.org slash curiosity. And it's just like the word curiosity, but get rid of the T-Y and put a D at the end. Oh, that is... And then you can call in or you can uh, you can write online and, and pose your question, and we'll do our best to try to answer it. Well, we're going to come back in just a minute. Eddie, you probably have a question for him as no, well. No, I, I just I just enjoy all those driveway moments. I just wanted to say I, that. I, and, uh, that's right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and we'll explain what Ed was meeting with that and talk a little bit more about some of the things that the Curiosity has found out about our Southeast Michigan, Michigan in general. That's all coming up in the Internet Advisor. We'll also be talking with a young man shortly who has developed a, a piece of software to help us geezer geezers remember our history. Walk around with you along with our crew. We're talking with a senior news editor from our local public radio station, WDET. That's uh, Quinn Kleinfelder. Quinn, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Foster, thanks for the invitation. It has been a ball. And uh, by the way, thank you to the folks behind the glass, Shannon Maley and Rich Lozanski, who have been helping us get this program going as well. By the way, somebody might ask you, why in the world would I have a competing radio station on it? Well, it's a public radio station, and uh, many of you out there support them, and, and they have a wonderful wealth of entertainment uh, that is publicly supported, and I, I think it's it's great to let you folks know it's around. This happens to be something that is online, that you can go to wdet.org slash curiosity, and that's uh, curious, and I... And then the word, letter D, rather. And that is going to get you to this fascinating function about unique things about our area. We talked about the Michigan left. It actually came from Michigan. And um, and before we get to you, Cal, it has been, Quinn, am I right, it has now been accepted by a number of other states. Yeah, that was part of the question that the, the guy wrote in and asked about. You know, he, he said that uh, the original question came from somebody that said that he was a California native and that he'd only seen it around Michigan and wondered if it was just a Michigan thing. And he started looking, and actually five other states have adopted it. Not um, enough. Not enough. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, but then, and then there was some, I actually called up uh, the head of the traffic safety division in Louisiana, because New Orleans had done it for a while. And they said that it was working really well there. But what they found were that some people were very reluctant to try to begin to do it because they said they didn't want anybody telling them where they had to turn left. <laughs> it's literally, she said they would fight. And, they, and then she said, well, you know, they would have these big, long town hall meetings about it. And then finally they'd get oh, done and, they, and the guy would say something like, well, 
I, I never try to make a left there anyways because it's always so busy, so I just go down and make a U-turn. And the woman was saying, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what we're trying to do here. Duh. So, yeah. So it was interesting. So there there had been some, uh, you know, uh, pushback, I guess, on it. But uh, in general, yeah, many, many, many states, God, or five at least. Kel, you know, I'm way too lazy. It takes a lot to type on this keyboard to find out at your website. Tell us the story about Hamtramck and, and uh, Highland Park and why it's in the middle of the city. Well, you know, that one, it's a little bit hard to say because of some of the things that's been going on with that. And as you mentioned, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to type and bring it up. I, I not, not to dodge that question, one that, that struck me even more. I mean, you were talking about nuclear missiles in there. Did you yeah. realize that there were nuclear missiles in Detroit? Oh. It was a Nike missile base. I knew there was a Nike missile base here, but I didn't know oh, it I was actually know that. Yeah. in the city. Yeah, and I actually found, I mean, I didn't do that particular story, but I found out about it because we were doing a series on parks in the city. And I went to Rouge Park, and they have, uh, you know, these groups that help. And one of them's called the Friends of Rouge Park. And she says, well, come over here and meet me. We're going to walk past here. This is where the Nike missiles used to be. I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was all overgrown, but you could actually see, like, little circles in the bottom of the ground where there would have been silos. Wow. And they had, and it actually had all overgrown now, and it, they just left it fallow, and so they were trying to like make a nature trail through it. This would have been during the Cold War fifties. Yeah, yeah, and, and into sixties, wow. I think. Back when you, you know, used to make your own uh, fallout shelter, your bomb shelter, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I do like your sense of humor a little bit too, because I I said you know there's culture, music, politics, community, business. I hit politics. First one was, does Michigan have venomous snakes? <laughs> Can't wait to read that one. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. thought that had been under lawyers, but you never know. <laughs> hey, I got to ask you about Waterworks Park. That has always fascinated me. First of all, why was it the beautiful architecture there, etc.? And it's basically a filtration plant or for Detroit's water? Yeah, yeah. It had been that way for a while. And, um, you know, it's still, they they have it being a park now. And again, not not to dodge that, but whenever you bring up water, there's been such a situation with water throughout the area. I mean, and I've had to do so many on that. I'm not just, you know, is water a right or a privilege with people selling it and the stuff yeah. with Flint and everything. So, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, that that, as you say, that was the case with that one. Now, I heard a fascinating thing about Waterworks Park, and maybe you can confirm or, or deny it from the data that you do have, but underneath the park, there are caverns where they were, the water comes in for filtration. Well, all those caverns are tiled with that beautiful uh, mosaic tile and everything all underneath that park yeah. for the water to come through. I believe that's the case. Um, wow. You know, there, there's a lot of things around Detroit that... Uh, just because of the construction they're doing now for the M1 rail and things mm -hmm. that I found that regard water that I would have never known before. Some of the construction people I talked to said, I, again, this is a little bit different, but they, they said that one of the problems they've had and why Woodward's have been so torn up for so long is that some of the pipes they found that they were using um, were put back in, I'm not sure, late 1800s, and they're wooden pipes. No. Yeah, yeah. and that's no. actually what, yeah. Wow. And, it would hollow at least they're not lead like Flint. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know what's got in it at this point. It could have, you know, woodworms from way back when. Oh, my Lord. And the other thing, too, is that they tore up one side of the road, and they said, we're going to do one side and then stop, and then we'll go and do the other side. And then all of a sudden, you see them doing both, and you say, what's going on? Well, the problem, they said, is back in the day to save money. When they were putting these pipes together, rather than just, you know, stop, okay, we're going to put in a new section of pipe, we're going to fuse it, they said, well, we'll have to figure out what that problem is, and it'll be a big hassle. So instead, they just zigged across the road and 
hooked it up there <laughs> to avoid the whole problem. So these guys are going through trying to find these pipes, and all of a sudden they'll think we've got everything done. They look over, and it zigzagged over the other side of the road. <laughs> so then they got to go tear that side up. So you know, it's oh. added like almost another year onto the construction that's just because they got to go all across. Yeah. Folks, you can find out about these and many other fascinating things about Detroit and Michigan if you go to wdet.org slash curiosity. Quinn Kleinfelder, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I appreciate it. It's nice to see how the other half lives. <laughs> it's been a ball. Quinn Kleinfelder is a senior news editor at WDET. Well, we're going to be, we've been talking about history, and I'd like to have a young man join us on our conversation here who is helping some of us to delve into and save history. Uh, his name is David Sawyer. And David, welcome to the Internet Advisor. Yes, thanks for having me. David, you are a uh, college student, I believe, still at Stetson University in, uh, is it Deland, Florida? Yep, Deland, Florida. No, I have to, forgive me, I have not heard of Stetson University before. Is, is it a, uh, a specialty kind of university? Yes, it's a small liberal arts school. It specializes in business and music. Ah, how is it that somebody who's specializing in business and music comes up with a piece of software that is involved with genealogy and personal narrative service? Yeah, so it was a really unique thing. You know, I was going to school and I was getting my degree in finance and entrepreneurship, and you know, starting my own business was something I always wanted to do. And we're always taught, you know, to have a personal need, have something that really moves you to go create something. And that personal need came from actually the passing of my grandmother. While I was at her funeral and I was listening to all these stories from a life that I'd never heard before, I realized that these were going to soon be forgotten unless someone, you know, made a conscious effort to take them down and Mm -hmm. try to find a way to preserve them. And I, you know, we looked at all the options we had available. My family was doing Facebook pages and, you know, just Mm -hmm. sharing moments back and forth and realizing that, you know, We've got to have a better way to store life history than just, you know, over text or over emails or over Facebooks. Mm-hmm. And how, what is the, the, the program that you have developed to do that then? Yeah, so we developed an online platform that allows you to easily store these life moments and histories. Uh, the really big thing that we are focusing on is that this website's going to be up forever. We created a financial model and a business model that allows us to do that, and we put everything up on the cloud. You know, this type of business wasn't possible like five years ago. Even three You're years right. ago, based on the cloud wasn't fully developed, and these hard drives are constantly evolving, and you would have to go through the effort of converting it every single time. Now, with it all being on the cloud, it automatically is going to update for you. You know what's fascinating about this, David, is that uh, my grandfather died uh, just shy, six months shy of his 100th birthday. And this would have been uh, 1986. And so he was born in 1886, and his life spanned a fascinating chunk of American history. Two world wars, uh, and he had gone from horse and buggy and living in central Wisconsin in the lumber communities to uh, being in uh, highly urban areas, and man had walked on the moon and all the rest of that stuff. We were doing the best we could to try to catch some of that oral history with tapes. I don't know where those darn tapes are right now. So what you've done is to create something that now will do a much better job of saving that oral history. Yes, precisely. That's what we wanted to do is when we were actually first working with, you know, our consumer base, we went into actually a local nursing home and interviewed World War II veterans and started taking down their life history. Mm. And many of them had like a, a like an album and, you know, a little a hard copy book of all their life stuff and realizing that that's the only copy they have. 
and now they would have like 10 grandkids and, you know, three children. Who was going to get that? How was that going to actually be able to be passed down? Ah. And how was it going to be, you know, their heritage? How was it going to come across as their legacy? Mm -hmm. So putting it all online allows, you know, that not to happen where it's very easy. Anyone can have access to it at any point in time, no matter where you're located. And it's much safer in case some of the stuff getting lost, as you mentioned with your audio tapes and Mm -hmm. just, the need to go out there and replicate 15 of them for your family. Right, right. Put it all online. Now, how you you, you developed this, were you a software engineer to start with or coder? Well, listen, I tell you what, hang on a second, David, and we're going to ask you some of these questions when we come back. David Sawyer is with us. He has developed something called TSO Life, and we're going to talk about that piece of software and ways maybe to capture your family history, your personal family history, and make sure that your family is able to treasure that as they go forward as well. That's coming Coming up here on the Internet Advisor. Stay tuned for more information about that. Thank you very much for having joined us for this program. It's been a fascinating one for me. Lots of things to learn and enjoy. And uh, by the way, our show notes will contain the full link to get you to that curiosity feature on uh, WDET. We'll have all sorts of information in there for you that'll be appearing on Sunday night. So uh, by the time you folks have uh, have brought this podcast down and listened to it, you'll be able to see those show notes that are going on there. I want to thank once again David Sawyer for joining us from Stetson University in Deland, Florida, uh, where he's a student down there. He developed a piece of software, a program rather, called The Story of Life. And it is actually the story of your life and mine. That's right. Uh, David, I, how far are you along in the development of this? Could we, for instance, uh, go online and find this and download it to our uh, our phones or computers? Yeah, so right this second, we're actually less than a week away from launching. If you go on oh. right now, we got a landing page up where you can leave on your email address, and we'll notify you the moment Excellent. it's up. But we're supposed to be live this coming Friday, so less oh. than a week. Wonderful. And I, you've been now. Did you do some crowdfunding in order to get this together? Yeah, we actually were live on Kickstarter over the summer. We raised over ten thousand dollars throughout the platform, and it was a really good experience for us. It was a. It wasn't something we were really taught in school on, you know, how to create these Kickstarter campaigns yeah. and how to, you know, do this viral marketing and stuff. But it caught on, and we learned a lot really quickly. Now, you uh, you were saying before that Stetson University uh, focuses on uh, fine business, and uh, what was the other thing? I'm sorry, I missed that. Um, yeah, we're in a full liberal arts school, but the uh, the things we're really known for are specifically our finance program and our music program. Is this changing what you're going to be doing in the future from maybe what you started into doing in terms of finance or music? Yeah, most definitely. I started off as being a uh, finance major, specifically focusing on investments in stocks, and it turned into me learning more on the venture capital side and, you know, picking up an entrepreneurship major and focusing fully on just starting my own business. And it sounds like yeah, this could be a really neat one. Now, in this model you have, what will be the finances involved in the story of life? Yes, yeah, so the neat thing is when we're looking at the industry, all of it was very subscription-based and making you charge a monthly fee or mm-hmm. an answers.com's rate. They made you pay for an entire year for their product. We actually wanted to have it as a one-time fee. Mm. So for a simple one-time fee to sign up, your information is going to be secure and hosted on our platform forever. And the reason we did that is, you know, what happens if someone wants to, you know, use it, only pays for a month, and they upload all this content? And in my mind, it should never be deleted ever, and we never want to get into that situation. Mm -hmm. So for a one-time fee, no subscription model. I got you. You upload. Now you can upload audio and uh, video and uh, pictures and just pretty much anything that's uh, the kind of data that you could do on a computer, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then do you have uh, like a, um, a structure there to help people tell their story? 
Yes, the really big thing is we were looking at how people were currently doing it. They were making all these posts on Facebook, and we recognized that if someone wanted to find an event that happened, say, five years ago, Mm -hmm. they would be scrolling on the Facebook feed for like an hour, (laughs) where essentially we created this... uh, this horizontal timeline, kind of a tree view, oh. we were able to go and immediately click on a specific time period, zoom in, and find the stories that happened, say, back in 1982, or in your father's case, you know, way back in, you know, mm-hmm. in but early it could be, 1990s. So. Right, it could, be, it could be like 1918. You can go that far back with my grandfather, for instance. Exactly. Uh, that's fascinating. Dave, thank you very much for being here. David Sawyer, and as you heard, you heard it's going to be launching officially this Friday, right? Okay, and give us the website then. www.tsolife.com T-S-O-Life.com I, I'm fa- What is the T-S-O? The story of. I love it. The story of life. So it's T-S-O-Life.com. Look for that online. Could be launching this Friday, and it uh, could be a great place. To, uh, kind of the ultimate family album, and a great place to store your memories for your family. David, thank you very much for this, and the best of luck to you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Hey, guys, I wanted to, and since we still have Quinn in, in the studio here, I wanted to wrap up. This is the, the anniversary of Back to the Future. So let's cast our minds to 30 years from now, roughly... Uh, 2045 or maybe around 2050, the half century mark. I don't know how many of us will still be around. I doubt I'll be around at that time. What do you look for? What do you? What would you think is going to be happening at that point? Something quickly, Gary. You know, we're going to have autonomous vehicles long before that, but we're going to have autonomous drones by then. Ah, autonomous drones. Eddie? That'll oh. carry us wherever we want to go. Oh. Pods, Jetson, think Jetsons. I'm hoping to have nanites course through my body and cure me of every disease. That's what I'm hoping. You know, that is a really neat thought. Yeah. How about that? I love it. I love it. Cal? I'm looking forward to a hovercraft walker. <laughs> you just stand, it's like a segue you can't fall off of it you just stand there and float around i love it i just by the way in downtown royal oak ran into a fellow i posted the picture on online who was on it, it is a hoverboard uh that is the bottom part of a Segway. And the guy, yeah, the yes. guy was standing on it, and as he tilted forward or backward, like you could it's do like with a, a Segway. like a little glide board, right? Yeah, a little glide board that yep. he could move around it. Now, as he said, it, it took him a little while to get used to this. I have a feeling you'd have to be a fairly athletic young person <clears throat> to be able to do this fairly safely. Yeah. He had no helmet or, you know, uh, shin pads or anything else on. Yeah, I've seen a few uh, spoof videos on that on YouTube where uh, you have some people coursing down the street, and then they wipe out. And they remained totally prone on the ground because it, of the injury they sustained. Oh, on that. yeah. It could be really nasty. They might have been planking. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, how about you? Any any thoughts? on? Uh, I, I think with all the investment they're pouring in, there'll probably be some skyscraper-sized statues of Dan Gilbert and Mike Illich, and they will actually <laughs> fight each other like Transformers <laughs> to, see who will take, to see who gets the rest of what's left. Oh, man. I don't know. Can Is it safe to predict that by that time we'll finally have some sort of public transportation in Detroit. Well, well you know, you, there's two other things that you I wouldn't consider. go that far. And uh, 
One of the things would be great if you could have a phone that you didn't have to carry with you. It would all be embedded in your body, and you just think and dial. And then the second <laughs> oh, thing is by that time, I think the Lions may win the Super Bowl. <laughs> there you go. I give a whole new meaning chance. to bud dialing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that was good. Any other things? I didn't want to limit you to one and thing. And this came from the education radio guy. <laughs> yes, from public radio. That's right. <laughs> Anybody else, anything? 30 years from now, Ed, I love your idea of the nanobots. What are you looking for, Foster? I uh, public transportation that is real public transportation you can get on. Well, you if know. we have if we have autonomous vehicles by that time, who would care? Uh, that would get you back and forth, I think, to the terminals where you could have really decent. I'd like to see really decent trans- public transportation that would take you. And would really transform Detroit the way that I saw Washington, D.C. transformed by the underground there. How about a decent education system? (laughs) Oh. Wow, you're talking about miracles now. Come on, we're talking about miracles. Um, Anything else, guys? Looking at it, it's kind of fun to think ahead uh, those 30 years like they did with uh, uh, Back to the Future. Certainly medicine's going to change, right? Well, Um, Ed was saying that. Yeah, certainly that part's true. I I think the whole electronic scheme is going to change from... You know, we have a television, we have phones, we have <laughs> computers, all that. It, it'll probably turn to one autonomous object that does everything. Hmm. And, you know, for example, it's a it's a small enough to be like a phone you take with you, but when you get home, you sit it onto the uh, tabletop, it projects onto the yep. wall as a full-size 60-inch television. I think that's happening you know, that already with some things. Like, for instance, with the... With the uh, some uh, of the, cl- my, the watches. My, and Microsoft is doing it with their phones. Eventually, you'll be able to put that phone down plug it into some sort of a keyboard etc and then project it onto a much bigger screen and boom right. you got your single computing device well the internet will not be the internet the internet will probably be some um, artificial intelligence that you you Sky just interface net. with <laughs> basically and you could just talk into the air and the information will come to you oh. you know basically fun to think about it it'll be our version of the hoverboards we're gonna have to you know keep this make a time capsule out of this broadcast yeah 40 Thank you. years from now Bring that walker over here. Float over here, Cal. (laughs) Quinn, thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you, guys. It's been fun. All right. Quinn Kleinfeder from WDET. Cal, Ed, Gary, and I'm Foster Brown. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Internet Advisor. And just imagine what it might be like for all of us coming 30 years from now in the bright future, future, hopefully the bright future that will shine for us then. Thanks again to the crew that made the show possible. And... Be sure to check in on Sunday night for us here on the Internet Advisor at internetadvisor.net for the full show notes and program content. You've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show, Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show, with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.